Well, we're going to do something a little bit different this evening. Normally, right now, we would get right into the message, but uh, I wanted to do a, a video right before the message. This is definitely not my normal MO. Um, this is definitely not something I normally do, but um, because of the nature of this uh, little mini-series we're going to be going through, I thought that these, uh, these videos um, are helpful to kind of help understand the issue at hand. And so um, we're going to look at this video and then we'll get into the message. You know, I think it kind of oversimplifies some, some of the, the issue in some ways, uh, but it does kind of help us understand a little bit better uh, this, this particular topic. And so with that, go ahead and show that video. at today that and I'll tell you guys the the question of the century is the final authority that is the question it's not world peace it's not world hunger it is what is the final authority and, and I showed you it is not man it is certainly not education and by no means is it science our final absolute final authority in all matters of faith and practice is the Bible and when I'm talking about the Bible, I'm not talking about some imaginary book that exists out there in the ether. I'm talking about a book that I'm holding in my hand right now. This book is the absolute final authority in all matters of faith and practice. So review chapter three, we'll give you a test next class on chapter three and on the material that you got here today. And we'll see you guys next week, okay? You guys have a good weekend. See you, Doctor. Thanks Doc, you got a couple seconds? Yeah. You've been telling us that the final authority is the Bible, but uh, mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's like 300 of them out there. I mean, which which one are you talking about? Let me tell you, there's not 300, there's not 200, there's not 50, there's not 25, there's not 10, there's not five, there's not even three Bibles. There's just one? No, there's not one. There's two. Two Bibles. What, what, what do you mean there's only two Bibles? Well, listen, there's another class coming in here, so we can't hang around here. Sure. You got time for a cup of coffee? Uh, sure. Okay. Sure. Okay. Sure. We'll just go get a cup of coffee okay. and we'll talk about oh, this. Okay. And when I say there's two Bibles, you go into a bookstore, I know. And you see a. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. And you see a bunch of them on a the shelf and you go, well, no, there's got to be more than two. But the fact is that every Bible that you can buy today comes from only one of two locations. There's a line of manuscripts that come from, from Antioch and Syria. There's another line of manuscripts that come from Alexandria in Egypt. Now, what do you know about from the Bible? What do you know about Antioch and Syria? I think it was the place where the disciples were first called Christians. Absolutely. We got our, our name Christian comes from Antioch. It was also the head of the New Testament church. When the Apostle Paul, when he went out to, on a missionary journey, he, he left from Antioch. When he came back, he came back to Antioch. That was the center of New Testament Christianity. In fact, many of the originals that we have today may have been penned there. All right, today in existence on this planet are 5,909 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, some entire, some entire books, some, some pieces of manuscript the size of this sugar pack. The vast majority read with what is known as the Texas Receptus. That is the Greek that comes out of Antioch. So it comes from Antioch through the Texas Receptus into the King James Bible right here on this desk. It'd be like this coffee, okay? This is the line of manuscripts, the vast, bigger than this one, because most of them come out of Antioch. The other line of manuscripts, which officially is known as the critical text, which if you think about that, just the fact that it's critical should tell you there's a problem, they went down to Alexandria, Egypt. Now, what do you know about Egypt from the Bible? Not a lot of good. It kind of represented the world. Israelites were in slavery. Absolutely. In fact, when God wanted to use a bad example in, uh, in the book of Revelation, he wants to say something about bad about Jerusalem. He compares it to Sodom and Egypt. So the only good thing about Egypt is it can, it can be used as a bad example. So. Good manuscripts went to Alexandria. Now, we not only get manuscripts, but we get something else from these two locations, and that's what I call a mentality, or a philosophy, if you will. The Antiochian mentality and the Alexandrian mentality, or philosophy, or view of the Bible. This one, Antiochian, the Bible is perfect and cannot be improved on. Alexandria, the Bible is not perfect and can be improved on. Now those two, what view of the Bible do you hold? Well, this one right here, but. These are both still coffee. So you accept the Bible is perfect and it cannot be improved on, correct? Yeah. yeah. And you say they're both coffee. 
The problem is that when some of these from Antioch came down into Alexandria, where they did not believe the Bible was perfect, they thought they could improve on it. And it's strange that people that think the Bible isn't perfect always think they're the ones that can improve on it. And so they began to make changes. Uh, an example, they didn't believe in a trinity. They didn't believe in a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So they took that verse out, 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. And they made these changes, and they said that they were taking a book that was imperfect and making it better. So after they got done, okay, there it is. Drink your coffee. And drink it? No, thanks. It's coffee, right? What's wrong with it? It's ruined. It's Exactly. Well, that's the same thing about modern translations. When you go into a Bible bookstore, if you see 25 Bibles, you're not seeing 25. You're seeing these two. You see the King James, that's Antiochian through the Texas Receptus to the King James. You see everything else, it's the Alexandrian through the critical text to New American Standard, uh, Living Bible, Goodness for Modern Man, uh, Today's English Version, uh, Contemporary English Version, New International Version, all the modern... The NIV. Oh yeah, New International Version comes right out of Alexandria. When I was like 12 years old, my grandma gave me a New International Version. In fact, she would read it to me. I still carry it with me today. And mm -hmm. You know, actually, my dad got saved by reading out of a New International Version. Are you saying that maybe he's not saved? No, no, I wouldn't say that at all. Let me ask you this. Did your dad trust Jesus Christ as a personal savior? Yeah. The Bible says the gospel is that Jesus Christ died according to scripture was buried and rose again the third day according to scripture. That is the gospel story. That gospel story can be found clearly in the King James Bible in 1 Corinthians 15. But you can find that gospel truth in many modern translations. So a person can come to the knowledge of their lost state and their need to trust Christ as their personal savior through a modern translation. But if you can get saved out of a modern translation like the New International Version, why does it matter? Aren't they all kind of the same then? Well, they're both coffee, right? Yeah. You gonna drink this one? Oh, why not? It's been tainted. It's corrupted. Corrupted. You can lead somebody to Christ, showing them 15, 20 verses, right? Yeah. When I lead them to Christ and I go, I've shown you a dozen verses and you ended up saved. So what do you think is in the rest of this book for you? Growth. You can grow because this one isn't corrupted and this one is. Two Bibles, two coffees, pure, Corrupted. Could you show me in here where this one's been corrupted? Oh yeah, in fact there's 16 whole verses taken out of this and I really can't. I don't want you to accept the King James Bible as the perfect word of God because I say so. I just don't want you to say it's got mistakes in it because somebody else says so, all right? Because you're making a man your final authority. Remember back in class? It wasn't man is our final authority in all matters of faith and practice, it's what? The Bible. The Bible, all right? I will answer any question you have concerning this issue but here's my problem. I've got to meet another guy in about five minutes. I don't, want to, I don't want to leave him hanging. Here's what I'm asking from you. I want you to take what I give you, like what you saw today, and I want you to think about it. Will you think about it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, well, God bless you. Um, I'll see you in class, and we will uh, we'll get together. Maybe I'll make you another cup of coffee. Let's Sound good? See. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> it's good stuff. Yes. It's, it's, it's a famous recipe out of Alexandria. <laughs> All right, take care, buddy. Thanks. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter number 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, when you find that, if you would join me in standing, we'll read just this one verse, <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16, a very famous and familiar uh, verse, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to discuss this, this particular topic. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to have the right uh, spirit, but also the right stand in this particular issue. It is important, and help us to understand that. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would guide us and direct us and 
Help us uh, with this situation in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. So on September 1st, almost two months ago, we started a series called Baptist Beliefs. And this series is meant to help us to understand what we believe as Baptists and why we believe it. Because um, that's always important to understand, to know what you believe and why you believe it. Well, we started with the very first Baptist distinctive, Bible-only authority. And in that message, we mentioned that the Bible, if you recall, is totally perfect. The Bible is truth, and the Bible is trustworthy. Well, it does beg the question, though, which Bible should we use? So for the next three or four weeks after this week, (laughs) we are going to do a mini-series or mega-series, however you want to call it, on this particular issue. And uh, spoiler alert, if you didn't already know, it is the King James Version. That's the Bible we should use. And by the way, so long as I'm the pastor here, we will only use the King James Version of the Bible here at our church. Um, Our position on this topic is not up for debate. Um, So if you have questions about this and and think it's the wrong stance, uh, I'm sorry, it's not up for debate. We are committed to the King James Version, and the series is going to hopefully explain the basics on why we do, and it is not going to be an in-depth series. Uh, this is usually a, uh, um, a, a semester-length course in Bible college. Uh, you, we could have a very lengthy uh, series on this particular topic. Many, many volumes have been written uh, about this, this topic, and it's hard to bring it all down and into a digestible amount. I'm going to do my very best. Um, so anyway, with all that being said, so why? Why the King James Version? With over 450 English translations of the Bible, how do we know that the King James Version is the best? 450, isn't that mind-boggling? And really, there's a version for any type of uh, cultural bent. And, uh, and this isn't just, again... These aren't different languages. These are 450 English translations of the Bible. Unbelievable. And that is according to Wikipedia. And we know that Wikipedia is 100% correct in every situation. Um, There's no reason to doubt that. Um, Certainly there's a lot. And it's just the idea is that there's a lot of different translations out there. Well, a lot of what I'm going to be presenting in this mini-series is going to be taken from a book entitled A More Sure Word... Which Bible Can You Trust? And uh, it's right here, and it's written by uh, Dr. R.B. Ouellette. He is an independent Baptist. Uh, he's an active independent Baptist pastor in Michigan. I actually uh, talked with him this week and uh, thanked him for writing the book and, and explained what I was planning to do uh, here at Cornerstone and using his book as kind of a launching pad and, and uh, kind of a guide for where I was going with this. And uh, he, he is a blessing. Actually, I say he's an active independent Baptist pastor. He, he recently became the pastor emeritus of his church, and uh, another, another brother took, took his spot as the pastor, but he's still active in ministry, preaches all around the country, and is a great blessing. Well, he wrote this book for his church family uh, several years ago and for others who are struggling with this issue, and I hope that it'll be a blessing to us as we look at it uh, here in this series. Obviously, there's a lot of other great resources out there, and uh, you can get a lot more in-depth information, and I would encourage you and implore you to do your own study in this particular topic. Um, not, I'm not going to give you the whole, the whole, um, the whole spectrum of, of the issue, so I would encourage you to do your own, own study. Um, and so this is just simply designed to give the basics and uh, hopefully whet your appetite for more study on your own. Uh, But I would encourage you to dive in and do your own research. This issue warrants our time and study, which is why we're going to spend a few weeks on it. Um, And uh, here we go, and this is one of the reasons. uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, we read it here a moment ago. It says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Well, uh, that's not the only translation um, that uh, that other translations get this verse a little a little mixed up in uh, the American Standard Version. I'll put it up on the screen here. Every scripture inspired of God is also profitable. 
Do you catch the difference there? All scripture is given by inspiration, the King James says, but the American Standard says every scripture inspired of God is also profitable. So which, well, which scriptures then are inspired of God? Now we know, according to the King James, that all scripture is given by inspiration, but if you're just reading the American Standard, it's it's a little disheartening to not to, to know, okay, well, only those that are inspired are profitable. Well, which ones are are inspired, and, and how do we know that they were inspired? Uh, so it's a, it's a necessary discussion because if if all scripture is given by inspiration of God, then we can trust all of them. But if only those that are inspired are profitable, then it then it becomes a, a different different situation. Now, before we get into the nitty gritty of the reasons we have chosen to use the King James here at Cornerstone, I want to give you some of the spirit in which we come to this discussion. Um, yes, it's important to have the right stand, but it's also important to have the right spirit in that stand. John 1.14 says of Jesus, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, He had the right stand, but He also had the right spirit. Both are necessary. Paul encouraged the Ephesians to speak the truth how, is he, how are we to speak the truth? In, in love. right? The balance of having the right position, but also having the right disposition. Both are important. Both are necessary. The Bible version issue is no doubt a hot-button issue for some, and there are those who can get pretty intense over this issue too. It's an important issue, but we must have the right perspective. So by way of introduction tonight, I want to share some thoughts about our spirit and the issue, and this is the introductory uh, portion of your uh, outline there. Number one, this is a serious issue which affects fundamental doctrine. This isn't just a matter of preference. This isn't just a um, traditional um, stance. This is a doctrinal stance. Um, and due to the controversy with this issue, a lot of people decide to just shy away from the issue altogether and say, you know what, I just don't like confrontation, I just don't like, you know, to get into these type of discussions, but I'm telling you, this is worthy of making a decision about, uh, because it is actually an important issue that we've got to deal with. Jude 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints." And Jude was like, hey, I wanted to talk to you about something that was a lot more exciting and talk about salvation, but I had to kind of warn you about what was coming in uh, to Christianity. And so he had to encourage them to uh, earnestly contend for the faith. And so there are times where we do need to make some decisions regarding some of these issues. And again, it's not something we want to do on a regular basis, have a series on this. Uh, but I think it... It's appropriate in where we're at in our uh, Baptist Beliefs series. So I thought I would go into it. Okay, so there's, this is an issue that affects fundamental doctrine, okay? We mentioned 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse 16. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. The King James says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And that, of course, is a reference to Jesus Christ and how he came and he would, uh, uh, deity was robed in humanity, so God was manifest in the flesh. But, but some of these other modern translations, they dilute some of these doctrines that we hold to. And so here it's clear that God was manifest in the flesh, but in the uh, ESV version it says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. Now, I get that there's not much of a difference there because most of us can figure out that he is referring to God. I understand that. But if you take this verse by itself, it's unclear. Just right off the bat, who the he is talking about. Who was manifested? I'm manifested in the flesh. You're manifested in the flesh. And so this, discu this discussion on, on what Bible version, it, it affects fundamental doctrine here. These, these verses, 
there is some difference there. And uh, I think the, the, um, the average individual would, uh, would agree to that. Let's look at another one, John chapter 7 and verse number 8. The King James says, Go ye up unto this feast, I go not. These are the words of Jesus. Go ye up unto the feast, I go not up yet unto this feast. For my time is not yet full come. So he said, I'm not going up yet unto this feast, but I'm probably, I'm going to go up to the feast. Okay, and later on, and you keep reading that passage in John chapter 7, Jesus does indeed go up to the feast. He just doesn't go at the same time as the disciples did. Okay, let's look at the next, uh, the ESV version. You go up to the feast, I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Okay, so if you kind of take this logically... Jesus said he's not going up to this feast, but then a few verses later, he does go up to this feast. According to the ESV, Jesus is a liar. And friend, this has is, this is got doctrinal implications. Um, this is not a minor issue. Um, this isn't just a matter of preference. This isn't just, oh, I like to, uh, it's easier for me to understand this. They're tweaking the, the truth here about what Jesus said. Let's look at another one, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And, and we'll do these more as we go through this little series here. But Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Jesus or Emmanuel. Okay? Notice the word that I underlined there, virgin. And then next, next uh, one is the uh, Revised Standard Version. says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a young woman shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Do you see the difference in the doctrinal implications of the change there? A young woman can get pregnant by a man, but not a virgin. And uh, that's a big deal. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is an absolute, absolutely a fundamental doctrine that we hold to as Christians. And the Revised Standard Version dilutes that. And now it doesn't say that, you know, one woman got pregnant by a man. I get that. It just dilutes the doctrinal meaning that the King James brings in. Okay? So, first of all, understand that this is a serious issue which affects fundamental doctrine. Secondly, taking a different position does not necessarily make a man a heretic. Okay? And so, again, we're looking at the spirit in this issue. If you... If you decide or if someone, a friend of yours, decides that they're going to use the NIV or the um, English Standard Version or whatever, that's, it's, it's not worth becoming enemies over. Um, so long as we can agree on the fundamental doctrines, we can be friends and not enemies. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to work together on, you know, uh, I probably wouldn't have somebody who holds to a different version come in and preach uh, I wouldn't do that, okay? See, there, there's a difference here, but I can be gracious and kind, and we're on the same team for the most part. You know, we're, we're on the same team when it comes to the fundamental doctrines. If we can be on the same team on that, then, then we can be friends and, and have fellowship. And so I'm not going to, you know, everybody that I meet, hey, how are you? First question, do you use the King James? Okay, good, then you can be my friend. Look, that's not the most important thing, okay? It is important, it's worth talking about, which is why we're talking about it, but we need to bring it all into perspective here. So taking a different position does not necessarily make a man a heretic, though it could mean that they are a heretic, but it doesn't necessarily make one. So let's, let's kind of take it down a notch. And, and some who, ha who are hyper about this, uh, you know, if they don't, if you don't use the King James, then you can't be in their circle of friends whatsoever. Um, you know, I'm not going to probably be the closest friends with them, but I have family members who use different versions of the Bible, and praise the Lord, I still love them, and I can still talk to them. And so, let's not make this a matter of division when it comes to uh, just regular relationships. Now, inside a church, uh, a church needs to make a, a decision. And, uh, and we have made our decision, and uh, we're going to hold to that. 
All right. Uh, number three here, there are good people and non-discerning speech on both sides of the debate. That means that sometimes this issue can get so intense that people start name-calling and get hateful and get very wicked in their attitude towards the other side, and it goes both ways. The King James proponents can become very arrogant and prideful about their stand, and the other side can get uh, pretty hateful towards those who hold the King James, thinking and lumping us all into one stereotype. You know, oh, you're one of those King James-only churches. Ugh. Not recognizing our spirit in the matter. And see, we need to be careful that we don't become like that. Uh, number four, both sides of this discussion have difficult questions. Um, this is going to be... There's going to be a lot of difficult questions here because no one was there when the Bible was translated into the King James. Uh, we're just kind of going based on uh, historical records, of course, and, and, uh, and some faith as well. So there are some difficult questions, and both sides have uh, these difficult questions, although... I think that the King James side uh, answers most more of the hard questions than the other side answers, um, but that's, uh, that's my opinion there. All right, number five here, taking an extreme position on either side is dangerous. And uh, a lot of this, I'm, again, I'm taking from the book uh, a more sure word, so a lot of what I'm going to be saying is, um, from this book, and I would invite you and encourage you to, to get the book on your own. It is available on Amazon. Um, you, can, you can get it there. But taking an extreme position on either side is dangerous. Some on the King James go so far to say that you cannot correct the Greek from the King James, or that you can correct the Greek from the King James. Others say that you cannot be saved unless it is through the use of a King James Bible. Now, these statements are both absurd and distract from the central issues at hand. Critical text proponents believe that the King James Bible was translated from a con conflated text used by Christendom for 1,500 years and that this text was never correct. It took the discovery of a manuscript in the Vatican and one in a Greek monastery on Mount Sinai to find God's Word. Again, these assertions are absurd and they avoid the important questions as well. Both of these kinds of extreme positions are dangerous because if you accept the Westcott and Hort position, which, by the way, is the, uh, the, uh, the, the text come from Egypt, right? That he, the corrupted text that uh, he poured all the stuff into the coffee, okay? Um, the Westcott and Hort, that's the manuscripts there, the critical text. So if you accept the, the Westcott and Hort position, um, why did God keep his word from people for 1,800 years? Um, we're going to talk about the doctrine of preservation here in a, in a moment. Um, so for 1,800 years, evidently God didn't have, uh, God's people didn't have his word until Westcott and Hort came along. <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's, that's inaccurate. Okay, but if you accept the other stream, you must ask, well, why did God keep his word from people for 1,600 years? Was there a word of God before 1611? The obvious answer is Yes. In either, of these, in either of these extreme positions, God kept his best word from previous generations until he was either able to orchestrate a translation authorized by King James or until he was able to guide manuscript hunters to the oldest and best lost manuscripts. Okay, so that's the spirit in which we come to this uh, discussion tonight, and I hope that uh, you share that same spirit. That, um, and by the way, I would invite you to look on our church website under our beliefs, there's a link there to take you to uh, what, what it means to be a King James only here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. Um, I, I believe it's a balanced perspective. I shared this with the men before I got here, um, that this is where I stand and why and how I stand on the King James Version of the Bible. I would invite you and encourage you to, to look through that. All right, let's go through some uh, understanding the terms here. And, uh, and uh, we'll move on here with, with this. And this is just kind of an introductory. A lot of these things we already know. But number one, inspiration. And God breathed his word. 
into being. And so these are just the big, the big high-level um, terms that we're going to be going through in this series. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so we see here, uh, letter A on your outline, the extent, uh, the first letter, I guess I should say, is the extent, which means all scripture, every one of them uh, was God-breathed. Uh, the Bible is the word of God. We start with the Bible and believe it corrects science and history and other fields of study. It's of my absolute authority. And so if there's a contradiction between the Bible and science, instead of just going with what man says in science, because they have a lab coat and a doctor and some letters behind their name, we still hold to the Bible. The Bible is true. And science just hasn't caught up with the Bible yet. Um, I know that you know, some of you young people, if you go off to secular colleges, you're going to face uh, professors who stand behind a lectern and tell you that uh, you are a result of billions and billions of years. And because they have a doctorate and because they are so well-renowned and so well-respected in their field of study that it's hard to uh, fend off what they're saying, I'm telling you the Bible's true and uh, let, let God be true and every man a liar. Um, so the Bible is the Word of God and all Scripture, and that's the extent here is it, it's, it's the Word of God. Okay, but notice here the effect uh, of the Bible. It is profitable. It is profitable. In verse number 16, it's profitable for doctrine. That's what is right. It's uh, profitable for reproof, what is not right. It is profitable for correction how to get right, and it is profitable for instruction in righteousness, how to stay right. And so uh, the effect of the Bible is uh, very, very profitable. Okay, another key verse in the inspiration, uh, the doctrine of the inspiration of the Bible is uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. And it says here, um, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So in this we see uh, the marvel, and that's uh, found here in verse number 19, if you back up to that. It says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. And you remember the reason he said that is because Peter here was one of the uh, one, of, one of the ones who got to experience the Mount of Transfiguration. And what a, what a high honor that was. In fact, Peter was so impressed with what he saw, he said, you know, let, let us make a, an altar for, for you and for Moses. And, and uh, he was just so excited to be there. And it was a very special moment. I mean, that was a high honor for him to be uh, allowed to be a part of that particular event. And so he said in verse number 18, he said, This voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. But then he says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. He said, Look, you, you don't just take my word for it. It's, it's written down here. And so it's not just something that we are... He ever played the game telephone, right? You know, you say, we did this in our family a little while ago, uh, well back when we were living in Montana, so it's been a while. But we did this, and, uh, you know, we did this game where we said something, you know, and then by the time it gets to the last person, it completely different. Mark usually was the one who kind of, um, the, the phone line got kind of messed up there at Mark, <laughs> right? Um, but anyway, the idea is that if we're just trying to pass it on verbally, it's going to get messed up, isn't it? Um, so that's why it was written down. That's why we have a more sure word of prophecy. It's not just somebody saw something. It's, it's all been written down. Okay, so that is the marvel here. Um, I did want to read this. Um, we uh, would describe our belief concerning the Bible uh, as follows. First of all, we believe in the verbal inspiration. By verbal, we mean that God gave the very words to these men. 
For example, Deuteronomy 31, 24 states, And it came to pass when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this law in a book until they were finished. We believe that God did not merely give thoughts or inspiring feelings, but he gave the actual words to these men as they took the pen to paper. And it's, it's, it's a blessing that um, he used these different men and their different personalities and their different strengths and weaknesses and experiences and backgrounds to write the Word of God so that it's, it's complete. And it, the, the Lord used all of it. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we believe in verbal inspiration. We also believe in plenary inspiration. Um, by plenary, we mean that the scriptures are fully complete or inspired equally. We believe that the Bible is fully the word of God, his thoughts fully expressed. Therefore, we refer to the Bible with terms such as God-breathed, inerrant, and infallible. Okay, the method of, uh, and we see in this verse here in, in uh, First Tim- First Peter, Second Peter 1.21, the method of... Uh, of inspiration, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so as these men put pen to the paper, the Lord was working through that and intervening in what they would say and, and how they would say it. And yet they had the full choice too, and it's just the amazing sovereignty of God in all of it. Okay, so that's inspiration. Um, the, other, the other, well, this one's maybe a little longer than the other three are pretty quick. Number two, the preservation of the Bible, and that is God kept his word. Preservation, God kept his word. So God inspired his word. Most of us understand that, but also the doctrine of the preservation of the word of God is equally as important. Here's some verses that I want to throw out and read, and you can jot down the references and, and maybe look them up later. But Psalm 105, verse number 8. He hath remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. So the word is going to last for a long time. And we're going to read another verse that tells us that um, it's going to last forever. And that's this next verse, Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy word is settled in heaven forever. Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. Psalm 119, verse 152. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. Verse 160 of Psalm 119. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Matthew 24, verse 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Okay, so if he inspired it, and then it's lost for 1,600 years or 1,800 years, uh, did God mess up somewhere? Is there a big oops? Like God said, okay, I got my Bible all situated and well, we'll just wait 1,800 years before Westcott and Hort come along and find it, and then all of a sudden now we have the Bible again. No. 1 Peter 1, verse 23, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So inspiration and preservation have to go hand in hand. Uh, they're equally important. If God did not inspire his word, but did preserve it, then it is a useless preserved book written by sinful men. If God inspired his word, but did not preserve it, then it has been lost to time. Both doctrines are necessary, inspiration and preservation. God has inspired and, and uh, breathed his word into existence, and then he has preserved it over time so that his people could have his word. Okay, number three, illumination. 
another term that sometimes you hear when it comes to the Bible. And that means God helps us understand His Word. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 is uh, the passage here. In uh, verse number 9 it says, but, but as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things, which, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, with comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And it goes on down and it talks about how uh, the Lord begins to reveal things. In verse 10, God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Illumination is when God turns the light on for us on a certain passage. Have you been reading your Bible and come across a passage that you've read countless times before, and then all of a sudden, this time though, it really catches your heart, really speaks to you in that moment? That's the illumination of God. This, is, this process is a work that is done by the Holy Spirit and interpreter of Scripture. This is a present tense type of work accomplished by the Spirit. Inspiration was completed in the past. Preservation began in the past and carries through today. But illumination is for us today in the present. So that's illumination number four, translation. Translation, and, and this is where we take the, the Hebrew and the Greek text and translate them into another language. Now there's different philosophies involved in translating. It's possible to have a correct text, but a weak translation if the philosophy is not correct. And so what we believe as King James proponents, we believe that we had the right type of translation from the right type of source, the right manuscripts. And that's kind of what separates us from the others. They might have the right type of translation, but it's from the wrong text, and some from the right text, but the wrong type of translation, do you see? And the King James, to simplify the issue, we have chosen to, uh, the King James translator translated with the right type of translating, and we're going to talk about that here in a moment, but also from the right uh, source, the right manuscripts. Okay, so some would view the translation process as purely an act of man. In some cases this is true, but if you believe God preserves His Word, then you cannot separate God completely from the rendering of His Word um, in, into other language around the world. The promise of preservation requires that God use man to render the accurate translations in other languages. This is often a strong dividing line among those with differing positions on this issue. Did God preserve only the original languages and then leave His Word in the hands of men to render into other languages? Or has his supernatural hand been involved in the preservation work throughout the translation process as well? And I believe that God's hand has been in, in it at all. Because um, he is inspired it, and he also promised to preserve it. Well, in addition, there are two approaches to translation, okay? The new, well, here's two here. The, the dynamic equivalency, and uh, that's on your outline there with the definition is a process of translating used for the NIV and many other Bible translations that attempts to interpret and convey the intent of the message and thoughts of a source text rather than the literal words. So they're kind of trying to get the meaning and uh, to kind of put it out there and try to get the gist of what they're saying versus a word for word. Okay, formal equivalency is the next one. Uh, also referred to as verbal equivalency. It's a process of translation in which both the words and the forms of the words were rendered as closely as possible from Hebrew or Greek into English. So the King James was used formal equivalency, which is a word-for-word -word translation from the right text. And we won't get into the text issue tonight. 
But uh, the NIV and, and many other looser translations do the dynamic equivalency. There's also a, another type of uh, translation, which we don't even have listed here. It's a paraphrased type translation. And uh, this is like the message translation that maybe you've seen. Uh, and it's just very paraphrasy. You're just getting kind of a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a dangerous translation to be sure. Um, dynamic equivalency means that translators have attempted to get the concepts and the meaning of one language into a receptor language. This involves much subjective interpretation by the translator. Formal equivalency means that the translator has attempted to go literally from word to word as much as the languages will allow. And uh, that's how the King James was uh, translated using that. All right, last one tonight is canonization. God's people recognize his word. And uh, this is a, a lengthy topic here as well. And I don't want to get too bogged down with this. Um, but uh, canonization basically uh, is the term we use to describe how the books of the Bible came together as one volume or the canon of Scripture, as a lot of people call it. How did the Bible come together as we know it today? First, the prophets wrote the words of God. The prophets wrote and were the recipients of this direct revelation. God gave them His Word. These precious words were kept, and this is extremely significant. The Old Testament Hebrew canon was kept meticulously by the Jews. The tribe of Levi was given the responsibility of being the keepers of the law. And uh, one big... I, 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 for sake of time, I'm going to kind of let you do your own research on this. I, I don't want to take too much time on this. One big uh, question that comes up around uh, the canon of Scripture is why wasn't the Apocrypha part of the canon of Scripture? And uh, that is a valid and good question. Uh, but basically, um, you know, a short answer to that is that these books, the, the Apocrypha, were not deemed as being inspired of God. They were deemed as merely historical counts um, because they were, um, uh, they were not written by prophets. So these books of the Apocrypha were not written by prophets, and so as a result, they were not placed into the canon of Scripture, not viewed as inspired of God. Good historical records, yes, but that's about it, and so that's why they're not in uh, our Bible. I know that they are in some Bibles, um, but uh, they're not in they're not in uh, the King James version that um, that most most of us have. Um, boy, I there's a lot more I could read on this. I'm going to go ahead and skip it all if you're okay with that, and encourage you to do your own research on how God created and or how man God used man to bring the Bible together in the in the way and the manner it is. Um, the order in which it is is important. Right, because you have, you know, the the law mentioned in Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy, and then we have some historical records, and then we have the poetry, um, we have Psalms, and and uh, the way it's all been put together is is significant, and in the New Testament as well, we have the Gospels, and then we have the historical record of the Book of Acts, and then we have the doctrinal epistles that Paul wrote, and then the general epistles, and then prophecy there in, um, in Revelation. And so all of those, the Lord used man to bring all that together in the canon of Scripture. All right. I'd like to just end tonight by reading this, and it's a poem found in the book that uh, I'm going through here, a more sure word. Uh, Brother Olet wrote this poem. He said, I heard the old-time preacher speak without run one reference to the Greek, this precious book within my hand is God's own word on which I stand. And then the scholars came along and said the preacher had it wrong. Conflations here, recensions there, and scribal errors everywhere. A book essentially correct, but not in every last respect. A fairly certain word, they say, to light our path and guide our way. Then in despair I bowed my head. We have no word of God, I said. If some of this old book is wrong, pray tell, what else does not belong? Will still more manuscripts be found to make us go another round? Correcting, changing, taking out, creating questions, fear and doubt. Must more discoveries come to light before we finally get it right? Will precious doctrines fade away because of what the scholars say? 
How many errors must we purge because of what the scholars urge? How many versions must we make? How many changes can we take? How will we ever know we're through that we possess a scripture true? If man must find God's word, my friend, when will the changes ever end? Then to the book again I fled to find out what my father said. Forever settled, never fade, this promise God the Spirit made. A thousand generations hence, that seems a pretty strong defense. A perfect book? Then it must be, man can't improve what God gave me. We have a book completely true, instructing us in all we do. Preserved by God, not found by men. Inscribed by God, the Spirit's pen. If God or scholars you must choose, be sure the experts always lose. Don't give them a second look. Just keep believing this old book. And I thought that was an excellent poem and uh, one that I think would be a good way to close tonight. Um, again, as we started with, the spirit is important as well as the stance. And uh, we want to have the right stance. We want to uh, know that we stand on the King James Version, but we also want to be gracious and kind about it as well. And uh, not ugly, because there are people who hold the King James who are <laughs> ugly in their spirit. And uh, Lord, help us to not be that way, but help us to stand firm on the King James Version. All right, we'll continue our discussion about this next week. But uh, thank you for listening tonight. Let's have prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, we are grateful for how you inspired your word. Lord, we're also grateful for how you preserved your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to not just believe that the King James is the best version of the Bible, but Lord, help us to be in the Bible. Help us to read the Word of God. Help us, Lord, to uh, memorize it and apply it to our individual lives. Because, Lord, having the stance on, having the right stance here is, is less important than making sure that we are in the Bible. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people of the book uh, this week. Help us to take time to read your word, to meditate upon it, to hide it in our hearts, and then to live it out in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to allow the word of God to be our only authority and to be the authority in our lives. Thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen.